In this episode, we're talking about wild schooling, what it means, what it entails, and why we choose this philosophy to educate our own children. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Raising Wildlings podcast. We're your hosts, Nikki Farrell and Vicky Oliver. Today we're going to be talking about wild schooling, what it is, what it is not, how to incorporate wild schooling around traditional schooling and how we incorporate wild schooling in our lives. But before we start, we'd love to invite you over to one of our social media playgrounds on Instagram where you can see how we incorporate wild schooling and forest schooling into our programs and our everyday lives. And if you like what you see, you can share our podcast artwork or you may want to share our Instagram handle, which is wildlings underscore forest school, so that we can help inspire more children to get out into nature. So, Nikki, do you want to tell us what wild schooling actually is? Wild schooling is a movement designed to honour and support our innate inexorable bond with nature and to lend a voice to our own inner wild. It's essentially, if we nut it down though, it's essentially regular outdoor nature-based learning that focuses on the holistic development of the child. So there are a number of pillars that Mm. really embody wild schooling. It is very similar to forest schooling, but it does lend itself really well, particularly to the homeschooling movement, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily. No. Simply because a lot of these pillars really embody what we're trying to achieve in educating the whole child. Mm. Now, we're going to be discussing the 10 pillars of wild schooling. Now, just so you know, these are based on Nicolette Souder's work. So these Mm. aren't our pillars. Why we're focusing on these is because we incorporate these into our forest school programs and our own lives, and we fully believe in this movement. Mm. So let's go through the 10 pillars. Yeah. So the first one is that it recognises nature connection. Now, obviously, that is something very, very important to us. It's a fundamental human need, right, and a state of being. Now, if we get right down to it, we're all just animals. So Mm. we need plant and sunlight and fresh air and love and connection to survive. And that's really hard to do inside four walls. That's right. And we really need to have that regularly. So it's not just once a week or a couple of times a week or even 15 minutes a day. Mm. We do actually need a little bit longer than that to connect and to fully be in the moment and to get swept away in something. Mm. It's that stillness and that Mm. immersion, Mm. I think, which is really hard to do when you're at school in anything, when you're being moved from subject to subject Mm. in class. But it's also hard to do at home when we've got soccer games and soccer practice and birthday parties and we don't have that time to just sit and be with nature. That's right. So that's why we really commit to that time outside. Mm. Number two is that wild schooling values and respects the whole child. This is really important to us at Forest School. One of the main reasons that Vicky and myself, we left the traditional school mm-hmm. system is that, and I'm speaking for me here, that I felt personally that there wasn't enough focus on well-being, mental health yes. in particular, but also physical well-being yes. at schools. You know, sitting is the new smoking and we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time at school sitting. And so for us, 
that value uh, of the whole child was we found that really easily in wild schooling Mm. and particularly when it comes to our values in terms of parenting and our relationship with children it is respect it is respect for children Mm -hmm. and and valuing their voice centering their voice Mm -hmm. Then the third one is that it's relationship-led and this relationship extends to their peers, to the adults in their life, but also to the environment. And the community. And the community. It's finding your sense of place within those relationships too. What I love as a parent and I'm not going to call ourselves educators down there. No. We're barely mentors. We're barely guides. Mm. We're really just there to facilitate a time, a place, a space, the resources. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And to, yeah, just make sure that they're safe. Mm. The fourth pillar is that wild schooling favours place-bonded contextual learning. I think this is really important because Mm. children need a sense of belonging and they need to feel as though they know a place and and that they have a place that feels like home that isn't just their house in case their house isn't safe. Mm -hmm. So where can children go? It might be a tree or a cubby house. Or a patch of grass or a a field or a playground or Mm. and hopefully a more wild space where they can bond with that space and learn it intimately, which brings us to the next pillar, which is aligning with nature's rhythms. Mm. So when you have a place-based bond with an area, you then can align with what happens to that space over a period of time. Mm. So, you know, we don't have autumn here really in Australia. We don't have fall. And yet in our forest, kindy forest, we have camp for laurels and they tend to shed their leaves in summer when it gets dry Mm. and quite often we have children say oh it's autumn because it's so place-based for them that these leaves falling feels like autumn to them so it is being able to contextualize the exact changes that we see Mm. in our place that are outside seasonality that we learn Mm. those seasonal synchronicities so here for example when the crow's ash flowers it's when the eels are fat Mm. Um, but it can be so different. So if we do forest kindy, we might there might be hairy caterpillars in April, but if you go down to the rock pools, it'll be completely different. Yeah, that's exactly right. Number six is emergent learning. Now, for those that are unsure what emergent learning means, it's essentially following the child's lead and following the rhythm and it's mm. child-led learning. This is probably my favourite part about forest kindy. Yeah, it takes the pressure off mm. having to develop content and curriculum and what are they learning because the learning happens spontaneously Mm. within a context that makes sense and is it developmentally appropriate it's developmentally appropriate so that's a a really fascinating aspect of watching children learn Mm. and there also comes a lot of unlearning and unpacking of our own conditioning absolutely to trust this process it has taken us nearly three years to work out that if we bring down an activity for the children to do it for us kindy more often than not, they're not interested in that. They'll no. use the resources, but they'll use them for their own learning, for where their interests or inspiration comes from, yeah. their, where their games lead them, who's there on the day. Yes. Um, all one. of these different variables will really influence what they learn, how they learn mm. it, what they do with the resources, whether they engage in what we have provided for them. Even to the point when, for example, we might be building miniature rafts one day and then they say, next week can we build big rafts? And we say, absolutely, and we make sure all the resources are there. The next week they might not be interested in that. And that's okay, but that's been a big de-schooling and unschooling. And something we continue to struggle with. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) but it's so beautiful to watch. Mm. It's as as an educator to see children fulfilling their own educational needs Mm. is that's what we want. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So the next pillar, which is something that is very near and dear mm. and has has and we realize how vitally important mm-hmm. this pillar is, is village building. Absolutely. The connection that we have found with the women and men mm-hmm. that bring their children and the grandparents yeah. to our programs has been... It's what we've been missing. Mm. For, for me as a parent, yeah. this is what I didn't realize I had been looking for. Yeah. And I think many of the parents that attend to start off with, they come for their kids and then they stay Stay for for themselves. themselves. And uh, I think that that's why Playgroup initially was such a huge part Mm. of my parenting journey. It's really important to find your people. Yeah, it's really important to find your people and to surround yourself with people who are willing to have tough conversations Mm -hmm. But also for us to not feel judged in those at the same time. Mm. So we can we can talk about things and differences in the way that we do things and learn, yes. but not feel like that we've made mistakes or that we are othering each other because we're not making the same choices. And that has been what's so special about our village is that it is so supportive, even though everyone has a different idea on how to raise children. Okay, number eight is wild schooling respects and honors ancestral knowledge. Not only is it amazing and fascinating, it's where that knowledge comes from. We can't really mm-hmm. draw on what we know about our flora and fauna and space without delving into that Indigenous knowledge. Nor would we want to. Mm. It, it's made that much more special and our connection to nature becomes that much more solid when we incorporate mm. Indigenous bush tucker and stories, dream time, cultural practices, fire knowledge. Absolutely, which brings us to the next pillar, which is preserving and honouring story, Mm. which the retelling of those stories by Mm. children and the love that they have for those and honouring the knowledge and being the next caretakers caretakers of the land. Uh, On on that story, I would also say that children pass on, passing on the Indigenous stories, they also pass on their own safety knowledge Mm -hmm. through stories. Yeah, when children will talk to each other about things like rock throwing, Mm. uh, which we allow our children to do, and they will pass on that information and risk assess that. Mm. And police it. And police it through stories and... Their own personal personal anecdotes, snake stories Mm. and, and whatnot. They're really great great at passing that knowledge on Mm. and the last pillar number 10 is that wild schooling supports a future paradigm we are helping raise the next generation of environmental stewards activists environmentalists storytellers yeah uh, leaders in sustainability Mm, policy makers so we are helping them to understand their environment and the space so that when they do go to make decisions in the future that is centred in their thinking, Mm. that is part of their decision-making process. That old saying of children can't learn to love the planet if they've never had a childhood in Mm. it, and that's what wild schooling is essentially all about. Yeah. So these 10 pillars come from the work that's been done by Nicolette Souder and Wilder Child. We love Nicolette's work because she focuses on that holistic approach to raising children, and that's essentially what we're aiming to do here at Wildlings too. But I think what we need to also focus on is what wild schooling is not. We have Mm. to break down these... The myths and the barriers, the the preconceived ideas. Yeah, so wild schooling is not just letting your kids run feral in the bush. Mm. You know, it's not... We get that a lot. Yeah, so you just let your kids play with fire. No, no, we do not. In fact, I would actually say that it does the exact opposite. It teaches children how to be safe. It teaches them how to risk assess. Mm -hmm. It teaches them how to actually be in the environment in a 
way that preserves the environment. Mm, to tread lightly. To tread lightly, to, to be, experiment and explore at the mm, same time. To be independent but also interdependent on in and with nature. Yes, and to to engage in activities that empower them mm. and allow them to experience things that we oftentimes prevent children from yeah. experiencing. Another thing, wild schooling is not, it is not just taking traditional school outside. Mm. There is a fantastic rise in outdoor classrooms and when they're used well, they are amazing assets. But please don't take worksheets out into outdoor classrooms. Yeah, sitting under a tree and doing the same work that you do inside isn't really aligning with all of the pillars and what we're trying to achieve. It it's something you can it's better do. Than nothing. It's better than nothing. Um, but we need to dig a little bit deeper mm. into what we're achieving and how we are educating the whole child. Yeah. And wild schooling is not just for those of us who are homeschooling. No. Something... It lends itself well yeah, to homeschooling. Absolutely. And a lot of homeschooling families do incorporate a lot of wild schooling, but it's not just for homeschoolers. And there are some really amazing ways in which you can adopt these principles in any moment that you have whether that's on weekends or when you are on holidays. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Mm. So if you if you send your children to school, any traditional school, public, private, doesn't matter, here are some ways that you can incorporate wild schooling around traditional schooling. So some of you are probably already doing this, but I think the focus here or what, what we want to emphasise is that free play in nature is the easiest way to incorporate wild schooling and the principles behind it. But if you can't do that, then just try and incorporate nature-based activities. So that might include scouts or guides, hiking, bike riding, uh, geocaching. If you haven't heard about that particular activity, it's where you go and find, it's like a treasure hunt, Mm. but you're using your phone to find the locations or orienteering, scavenger hunts. Uh, You might have heard of things like rock drops, so where people paint and hide rocks. We might drop that into our resource list on the show notes Mm. the local queensland ones yeah Uh, it might even be a a book drop or creating nature mandalas or making fishing rods with sticks is super simple even creating very simple boats out of seed pods Mm. or leaves you've got nature apps gardening cubby building volunteering with local coast care groups bush care groups or turtle watch but in all honesty the best way that you can actually do this is to just spend time outside bring friends along make Mm. yourself accountable can you share the responsibility you can have one parent who's who is engaging with the group while the others are being able to switch off in terms of engaging mental load mental load (laughs) not not in terms of safety obviously Mm. so in summary easiest way to incorporate wild schooling into your life outside of school is to just book a regular time with friends to free play in nature Mm. and then if you need that extra level of accountability you can do what we did which was attend or start a play group Mm. or forest kindy or any other nature-based program that is a commitment that you will have to show up for no if I haven't committed to be somewhere and by commitment sometimes that means paid for me Mm -hmm. then I have no inclination to commit to that yeah so that's how I get outdoors sometimes and when you are outside try and give yourself a lot of time yeah to really be in that space 
and to to think outside the box in terms of your locations and that you can have a lot of fun in different areas so Mm. there's a lot of places that you might have recommended to go and it might be you know a hike or a walk but you might find a really amazing little spot off the beaten Mm. track or at the edge of the creek where you can just set up for a few hours Mm. so for example Budrum Forest Falls here on the Sunshine Coast Mm. is a great short walk Walk. it's about 20 minutes but if you've got children under say three Mm. 20 minute walk can be a lot and it can be a lot of particular on your own so we often will just walk across the field set up next to the creek and just let the children play in the water rather than attempting the hike for children. That's right. So there's um, amazing places or to do a small amount of the hike and just set up along the way and really get to know that space, really spend time and not leaving at the first sign that someone's bored, Mm. taking all the equipment that you need so that you can stay there. You've got enough food, you've got enough water, you really don't have excuses to just pick up and leave. But the best (laughs) days I always have are the ones where I'm the most prepared. Another thing that we do to incorporate wild schooling into our lives is be mindful about the types of books and toys that we purchase for our children. So we try and emphasise nature books and toys that are going to inspire adventure and Mm. inspire passion and wonder in nature. And feel empowered. So Mm. You know, when we do give them a pocket knife or a backpack, backpack, it's got purpose and it will help them to get the most out of their Mm. time when they're outside and that they can really get their hands stuck into some really adventurous play or really creative uses of what they have in front of them. Mm. So the other thing that we do to incorporate wild schooling into our lives is to make sure that we are always prepared for adventure. And Mm. the best way we do that is to keep the boot of our car fully locked and loaded. Uh, Rather than going through an entire list of all the things that we keep in there, though, we've created a downloadable that you can find in our show notes on episode eight about what we keep in our car so that you can always be ready for your own adventures. We hope that that particular resource is helpful just to make it easier for you to get out the door and get into an adventure with your children. And to always be prepared for those moments when you want to say yes, but you can't because you're not prepared. You know, Mm. you, you can see that your child wants to jump in a muddy puddle, but you forgot to bring the spare clothes. But If your car is always ready, more able to say yes Yes. to those adventures. So wild schooling is a very huge part of our lives. Mm. Just remember the important part about it, that it's regular outdoor nature-based experiences that help our children learn, focusing really on the holistic development of our children and honouring that really innate bond with nature. It's not just letting kids run feral in the bush. It's not bringing traditional school outside. The easiest way to incorporate wild schooling into your life outside of school is to book regular time with friends to just free play in nature. Mm. It really can be as simple and beneficial as that. That's it. If you have any questions or comments, just shoot us a message on Instagram. You can follow us there at wildlings underscore forest school. Next week, we'll be chatting to Linda McGurk, the author of There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. We'll be covering the benefits of outdoor play and how to create a habit of daily outdoor play with your family and how we can rebuild our outdoors loving culture in Australia. In the meantime, if you'd like a little inspo to get your family outside, just head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables to get our free wild schooling printable with all the gear we keep in our own cars so that our families are always ready for adventure. As always, we love doing this adventure with you. So until next time, stay Stay wild. wild.